Well, good morning, church. Good to see you here today. I shared this story uh, last week in uh, my class that bears sharing again my Wednesday night class. It's the story of a young man. He had gone to a drugstore, and he was buying some candy. He was about to have uh, a date with his sweetheart that night, and so he bought candy. He, he brought it up to the counter. He had a small box of candy. He had a medium-sized box of candy, and then he had a large box of candy. So when he got up to the counter, it just happened that the pharmacist was taking care of the register at that time, and as he was uh, checking him out, he said, oh, this looks interesting. You got three different size candies. What's this about? Well, the young man said, well, I'm going to be with my girlfriend tonight, and if she lets me hold her hand, then I'm going to give her a small box of candy. If she lets me kiss her on the cheek, I'm going to give her a medium-sized box of candy. And if she lets me kiss her on the lips, I'm going to give her a large box of candy. Well, he went ahead and paid his bill. The the pharmacist said, well, you know, good luck and and wished him well. And so later that day, uh, in the evening, he arrived at his girlfriend's house. He was going to eat there. And he arrived at the house and and met the family, quickly went to the table. And uh, as they were getting ready to say blessing, he said, "Can, can I have the privilege of saying grace, saying the blessing? And they said, sure, you go right ahead. So they all bowed their heads. He prayed a magnificent prayer. It was wonderful. Blessing the food, blessing the family. It was a beautiful prayer. And then he said, amen. His girlfriend leaned over and said, I didn't know that you were so religious. And he whispered back, I didn't know your dad was the pharmacist. (laughs) You never know. You never know how things are going to turn out. All right? And this is one of those weeks. It's Thanksgiving week, and you never know what's going to happen. I know you're making your plans, just like Arlen and I, with family and a little travel and all of that, but you're never sure quite what's going to happen. And next, next Saturday, we're not sure all that's going to go happen at the Iron Bowl, but somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, all right? Just like my ball team lost yesterday, all right? So you, you, again, you never will understand fully all things ahead of time. But I do know this. This is a week of Thanksgiving. And we ought to be thankful people. I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 100. And we're going to be talking about a psalm of Thanksgiving. Now, Psalm 100 is the second most popular of the psalms. Psalm 23 is the most popular. Psalm 100 is the second most popular of the psalms. It is a psalm that's very brief, very concrete, very straightforward. It lets us know exactly what God is expecting of us. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Now, we're here celebrating Thanksgiving because there was a group of 102 pilgrims that left England, and they made their way across the Atlantic. It took them 66 days. Now it takes seven hours by plane, but it took them 66 days. They came ill-prepared. By food and clothing, they just weren't ready for Massachusetts, the rugged, rugged winter. They arrived December, late December of 1620. And yet, out of that experience, three years later, they had a, a great Thanksgiving, a great harvest time that lasted three days. And out of that, some 166 years later... George Washington, first president of the United States, declared it to be a day of thanksgiving that we should have every year. Listen to his proclamation. It's very interesting. By the president of the United States of America, a proclamation, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God 
to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress, isn't that interesting? They agreed on something? Both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. So here we have thanksgiving. After all these many years, our country all started by the pilgrims in 1620 and then 1623 when they had their official thanksgiving celebration. And yet for us as Christians, we shouldn't have to be reminded of that. We should be thankful every moment, every day. We should be very grateful and very, very thankful uh, to God for what he has done for us. But let me tell you, we are people that are bent toward forgetting. We are bent toward forgetting. And God knows this. It's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 12, he tells Israel as they are about to enter into the promised land, he's sharing the word through Moses. He tells Moses, tell the people, don't forget me. Even though I brought you out of the land of Egypt and into this land of milk and honey, don't forget me. And then in chapter uh, 8, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, verse 4, and I believe it's verse 18, again, he, three times he says, do not forget me. Don't forget the commands. Don't forget that I brought you out of that land and into this land. And don't forget that it's because of me that you're able to produce and have all of what you're about to enjoy in this land. Don't forget. Psalm 100 is one of those psalms, one of those songs that God has given us to help us not to forget from whom all blessings flow. Notice in verse 1 and in verse 5, it's not just for Israel. It wasn't just something King David did. It's for us. He says, shout for joy to the Lord all the nations. And in verse 5, his faithfulness continues through all generations. You saw one of the songs, may the people uh, praise, may the people praise you. And as a reminder, all of us are supposed to be doing this and on a regular basis. Now, we're going to be looking at this psalm, and we're going to be first talking about five Thanksgiving commands. There are five commands right off in this passage of Scripture, and we, they are accented as verbs. They're action verbs. And they're in the imperative mood. Again, they are commands to us. And the first one is found in verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Shout for joy. When we look at that word shout, we are reminded that it speaks of a trumpet blast. We, we are to be shouting the joy that God has given us. There is a place for quiet. There, there is, there is qu place for reverence in the life of the, ch of the church, a spirit of, of quietness. But there's also a place for shouting and being reminded from the depths of our life that we're to be doing this. In Luke chapter 15, we read about those, those ten lepers that Jesus healed. And then he sent them to the priests so they could be certified that they had been healed so they can go back into society. Only one came back, and in verse 17 it says, He came back praising God in a loud voice. He came back praising God in a loud voice. He wanted to say thank you to Jesus, but he was shouting for joy to the Lord. I know that when it comes to church life, we're Baptists. And as Baptists, we don't want to be accused of being charismatics, all right? Some of you have Pentecostal friends. My grandparents, the Coleman's, were Pentecostal. My dad grew up 
in that Pentecostal setting. I know what it is to be in the Pentecostal setting. But there's nothing wrong with the word charis, the, the grace gifts, charismatics. We may have issue with speaking in tongues and healing, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid sometimes Baptists, we've gone the, too far the other way. We've gone too far to the extreme on the other side of not wanting to be excited, not wanting to shout, not wanting to raise our hands or, or to have tears and, and to have something just well up inside of our chest and say amen and just praise God and shout for the Lord. Now, I'm not suggesting that our worship become pep rallies every week. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I am suggesting that we should be free to be able to, to sing loudly unto the Lord and any other reasonable expression that we need to share in our deepest feelings in our life. You do it all the time. There's not one of us, whether we have children or grandchildren or friends who've been out on the playing field, whether it's soccer or football or basketball, whatever it may be, the sport, or whatever a team that you root for. You've, many of you, you've gone to college games, and you do it for Auburn and Alabama and Troy and any other team that you shout for. I did it for my, my team, the Florida Gators, I do it. Just a few weeks ago on Saturday, Arlinda and I went to a twirling competition because our youngest granddaughter, a ninth grader, twirls on a team out of Birmingham and Jay were in Clanton. We went and there was all kinds of shouting that were going on, on there. We're not afraid to do it there. Why shouldn't we be afraid in the church, in great respect, a shout to the Lord? And just say, thank you, God, for what he has done for us. Notice it says, shout to the Lord with joy. The joy that we have. We've all received some things this year that God has blessed us with. God has honored us. He has just showered us with the blessings. And there are to be reasons that we come before the Lord and we shout unto the Lord. Not only does he say that we are to shout to the Lord. Notice also in verse 2 it says, worship the Lord with gladness. Worship the Lord with with gladness. The, the word worship here in the Hebrew is actually the word for serve as well. Serve and worship, they go together. You can't serve without worshiping. You can't worship without serving. They, these are just all part uh, of, of the same mix in our walk, in our relationship with God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Understand it says serve the Lord. You're not serving me. You're not worshiping me. You're not worshiping the leadership of this church, the staff. You're not worshiping an organization or serving the organization in the sense of, of getting something from it. No, we are to be serving. We are to be worshiping our Lord. He deserves everything that we can give to him. The idea of worship, serve here, means that we give as a symbol of our gratitude, of our thanksgiving to him. So your time you give to him, your talents you give to him, your treasure you give to him, your influence, the opportunities that come your way, all of these are to be used in service unto the, unto the Lord and to use it for him in every way that God gives you, those doors that open up to you. And we are to be cheerful, just like the Bible says, to be cheerful givers, we're to be cheerful in this. Notice it says, serve the Lord with gladness. With gladness. We don't serve the Lord out of obligation. We don't serve the Lord out of guilt. We don't serve the Lord out of fear. We don't serve the Lord to get recognition or we desire appreciation. We do it out of the gladness of our heart. And the word gladness here also means laughter. 
That we are to, to, to have a sense of humor about this, a sense of, of joy about this. No matter what the assignment is, we're to be tickled by it. Or Linda and I, we're tickled to be here. I kidded the first service. We may not be tickled getting up at 5.30 on Sunday morning to get ready to be over here before 8 o'clock. But we're tickled to serve you because God's given us as an assignment. And there's a gladness for us. The idea here is to let your whole body your whole body feel this gladness, just like a child on, on Christmas morning. A child comes in and sees the toys and the gifts that have been left underneath the tree. And we've seen on their face, their, their, their mouth drops open, their eyes slide up. There's just an accountant about them. Their whole body is reacting with excitement. In the same way, we are to worship the Lord with that kind of gladness. Our bodies ought to be able to show it. Number three, he says in verse, in verse um, two, the last part of verse two, come before him with joyful songs. We come before him with joyful songs. This speaks of singing. Psalm 98 also is a companion to this passage of scripture. We're to sing a new song. We're to sing a jubilant song. Verses four, five, and six speak of come singing uh, or come with harps and with trumpet blasts. All the instruments, just like we have up here, that we are to be uh, involved in coming with that joyful song. Notice this in these three verses that we've read, our three parts already. Joy, gladness, joyful. It is not to be dull. One of the things that I have enjoyed over the past 25 years or so is how our Vacation Bible School material has evolved. Many of you, like me, we grew up. And in Vacation Bible School in the church from a very small child, our Linda and I both were, were involved in Vacation Bible Schools in our, in our churches, hers in Missouri, until she moved to Florida for me in Florida. And I love Vacation Bible School. But I have really come to love the past 25 years as it has transitioned in many ways, in some amazing ways, but especially in the worship. Did it here? This past summer, I came one of the days for Vacation Bible School. And the excitement in the life of the children, I've seen it uh, in, in our church and in the Prabhu community over the years. Just the excitement of the kids getting involved, living out this passage, come before Him with joyful song. Folks, if, G, if God is in your life, you can't hide Him. He's got to come out. He needs to be seen by those that are around us, that we have a love for Jesus. And again, for whatever and any way that we can express that uh, expression of worship unto Him, make a joyful song. And some of you may think, hey man, I can't sing. Listen, God already knows that. He made you that way. But He still wants you to try. You still can make a joyful uh, song from your heart. You say, well, what about the people next to me? They may not like it. That's their problem. Who are we doing this for? We are to please God, not please man. And so you sing and sing loudly. Make the best noise you can, the joyful sound. And it will be a beautiful, beautiful offering unto God. Because he says here, come before him with joyful songs. He doesn't say always in tune. I'm sorry, Micah. Not always in tune, all right? But you come. Now, number four, notice he says in verse three, know that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord is God. Did you understand that? Know that the Lord is God. God is God. I'm not God. And you're not God. 
Will you understand a couple of things about this, this wonderful truth? And that is this, first one. This ought to help you live in freedom. It ought to help you live in freedom when you know that you're not God. You're, you're not responsible for things you can't control. There are a lot of things in this world I can't control. And I share this in premarital counseling. I share it with a couple. I say, hey, the groom, you're never going to be able to control her. Bride, you're never going to be able to control him. All you control is yourself. And there are a lot of things in life we're not responsible for controlling. I give counsel. And I share with them God's word. I share with them best practices. I share with them some great experiences. And yeah, every now and then I get upset because they won't listen to me. But you know, I'm not responsible for what I can't control. All I can do is do what God tells me to do in talking to them. Same with soul winning. There are people, man, I just love to, if I could knock them in the head and get them in the kingdom, I would. But I'm sharing Christ. I'm not responsible for their response. I can't control that. That's between them and God. Yes, I hurt if they don't receive Christ. And it does hurt when, when you know that someone will fail to accept Christ in their life and they're destined for hell and may, and may die without Christ. And many of them do. But I'm not responsible for what I can't control. So God is God. I'm not. And another aspect of this is that when we understand that we're not God, then we will start to limit the power and authority we give other people. Let's face it, for too long in our country, we have, we have made gods out of politicians, out of entertainers, and out of athletes. And people of wealth. And they're not gods. They're just like you and me. And they may have some abilities and status. They may have had some opportunities, maybe not, that you didn't have. But they're no better than the rest of us. It also means this. Even people that may be wise and people that have prominence and titles and things along this line, even our leaders, we need to be careful that we limit the power and authority that we give over them. That includes pastors, staff, church leaders. That's not to say you're not supposed to follow the pastor and the staff, and the leaders of your church. You are, the Bible says. But don't treat them as gods. They are not gods. My feet are made of clay, and so are yours. And so for all the staff and the leaders of the church. What brings us together is that we're seeking God, and God has given lines of authority. But we recognize we're not gods. Notice it says here, the Lord your God. That the Lord is God. That first phrase there, or first word, Lord, in the Greek is Yahweh. That means the God who cares. He cares like a mother, father. He cares. God here, it says the Lord is God. The word God here is, is the word Elohim, which means the creator. So we have a caring creator. Know that the Lord is God. And that we are to love him and care for him. Notice he goes on to say and gives a few more descriptive words about it. He says, it is he who has made us. He's the creator. He's the creator. And he created you in a certain way. It's by his providence. He's created you in a certain way. Some of us have receding hairlines. Maybe not have any hair at all. Others of us are tall. Others of us are short. We all have different abilities. Recognize God made us this way. He is happy the way that he has made you. And be assured he is still working on you. He's still creating in your life. On Ruth Graham's grave, on, on her, uh, 
grave marker is the words, construction has ended. We've been through those construction sites, beginning construction, construction ended. On hers, it's constructed, construction has ended. In this lifetime, God's still working on us. And we recognize that he is the God who made us and created us. He goes on to say, and we are his and we are his people. Our God is a jealous God. And he wants us to submit to him because he is supreme. He is created and we are his and no one else's. So we submit to him. He goes on to say, and the sheep of his pasture. Listen to this. I don't know where all the green pastures are. I don't know where all the still waters are. I can't restore my soul. I can't find the path of righteousness. I can be fearful. And if not careful, I can end up in a wilderness. But I've got a, I've got a shepherd. I've got a shepherd who knows where the still waters are. I've got a shepherd who will lead me into the quiet places, the green pastures. I've got a shepherd that will restore my soul. I've got a shepherd that will lead me into that path of righteousness. I've got a shepherd who says, I, I don't have to fear. He's going to walk with me. I've got a shepherd who is, is there for me, will always be there and will never forsake me. And so do you. So do you. This is the promise. What he tells us to do in verse 3 is that we are to know him. To have that intimate relationship with him. It is the command that he gives to us. And lastly, number 5, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. We are commanded to enter. In those days, the temple, in Old Testament times, the temple was deemed the place that had the presence of God. You went there to find the presence of God, to worship in the presence of God. But we don't have the temple any longer. On the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, we've been there, and all you have is a temple mound. And on top of that mound, you have the Mosque of Omar, for the Muslims, one day it's going to be destroyed. And the Bible tells us there'll be a, a temple. The Jews will rebuild a, a temple there on top of that, that temple mound. And so what do we do? We come to church. And, and so we worship. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, here in worship. But this is more than just gathering here corporately. This is speaking of privately. Wherever we are, we are to enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. So when you're in the car driving, you have an opportunity of worship and entering into his presence. When, when you're in your home, you do the same thing. When you're at work, when you're at school, when, when, when you're exercising, when you're down at the beach, when you're mountain, wherever you are, you have that opportunity to worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is in us. I shared with my Bible class this past Wednesday night that a quick definition of the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is this, that it is God in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is God in our hearts. And so wherever we are, we're in the presence of Almighty God. So here we enter with thanksgiving and with praise. We, we come to give, not to get. How often do you come to church and you just want to get? I've had people through the years, well, I just didn't get anything out of church today. Well, what did you come to give? What did you come to give? Worship is about giving. 
Is the church supposed to help meet needs? By all means. That's why we have Sunday school classes and various ministries. We do. We all have needs. There, there, there's times we've had grief. We need prayer and whatever. We've lost a job. We have other issues and things. Yes. And we can bring, bring to God some, some needs that we have. But folks, worship is about giving. It's not about getting. And so here we're told, enter with thanksgiving through those gates and enter the courts with praise. It's about what we come and give our thanksgiving unto God. Psalm 107 says, let the redeemed say so. And so that's why it goes on to say, give thanks to him and praise his name. That's what we're giving unto the Lord. Notice it says gates. In Old Testament times, gates was a sign of defense to keep the enemy out. But we sang a song uh, a while ago. We're no longer enemies of God. We're the children of God. We're friends of God. It also says here, enter into the courts uh, with praise. The courts, that's the very presence of God. We can come into the very throne room of Almighty God to bring our praises. Folks, this is not optional. This is not, well, if you get feel, feel like, if you want to. No, no, it's a command. And we are to submit to his command. Now let's move on. Let's look at three reasons to be thankful. Verse 5. He says, for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Do you hear that? Everything that God does is an expression of his goodness. Everything he does is an expression of his goodness. Goodness means pleasant, beautiful, delightful, glad, joyful, precious, correct, righteous. We are to praise God for his goodness, regardless of what happens to us. Last Sunday morning, we said give thanks in all circumstances. We didn't say for all circumstances. Some terrible things happen in this world, but we are to give thanks in it. We're reminded even God's goodness even when things are not going right and have not gone right in your life, God is still good. He will always be a good God. A few years ago, there was a musical that taught us God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And that is the truth. Notice also a, a, a second reason we give thanks in verse 5. And His love endures forever. The Lord's love endures forever. The word love there is also the word for mercy. His mercy, God has been merciful to us. And the idea of mercy is we don't receive what we really deserve. That's what mercy is. We, we deserved a sinner's hell because of our sin. But God looked down in mercy and through His Son, Jesus Christ, our sin has been forgiven. That's what happened on the cross. Again, the beautiful music today reminds us the wrath of God was placed upon Jesus. The wrath of God was satisfied on Jesus. And because of that, His wrath has been extinguished on you and me. He shows mercy to us. This is a reason for our thanksgiving, and it endures forever, He says. And lastly, the Lord's faithfulness. His faithfulness continues through all generations. It has in the past, is now, and in the future. His faithfulness will never fail. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says, God cannot lie. And because he cannot lie, listen to this. He tells you he loves you, you can count on it. He tells you he'll save you, count on it. He tells you he cares for you, count on it. He tells you he has forgiven you, count on it. 
Count on it. He tells you he'll never leave you and never forsake you. Count on it. He tells you that he's coming again. Count on it. Because with God, he is faithful. And he will always be faithful to his children. Now let's close by looking at three thieves of, of, of thankfulness. Three, three thieves of, of thanksgiving. One of those is pride. Pride. When people say something like this, I did this and nobody helped me. That's pride. When someone responds that I've worked hard for this and I deserve it, that's pride. And the truth is, there's nothing you have save that which God has given you. You are nothing without God. He gave you the body. He gave you the mind. He gave you the ability to be, do everything. Like, he's given you all the resources. There's nothing you could ever do on your own that he has not already given to you in life. And we need to let go of pride and recognize all comes for him. And we better be thankful for that. The second is complaining. A critical spirit, complaining. Let me remind you of something about these, about these pilgrims. There were 102 on the boat most all of them became ill sometime those early months. But listen to these statistics. 10 out of 17 husband fathers died of infection that first winter in Massachusetts. Of the 17 wives, only three lived after three months. By April, half of the 102 had died of disease or starvation. William Bradford, remember the governor, his wife drowned getting off the boat and left a one-year-old child for Bradford to raise. Yet, three years later, they had three days of thanksgiving and a beautiful proclamation. But Bruce Lee, I think, focused in on something and I want to share with you. He said... Has it ever occurred to you that no Americans were more underprivileged than the small handful from the Mayflower who started the custom of setting aside a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God? They had no homes, no government agency to help them build homes. They had no means of transportation but their legs. Their only food came from the sea and the forest, and they had to get it for themselves. They had no money. And no place to spend money if they had it. They had no amusements or entertainment except what they made for themselves. No means of communication with their relatives in England. No social security or Medicare. But they did have four things. They had initiative. They had courage. They had a willingness to work. And they had an endless faith in Almighty God. There's a third thief of thanksgiving, and that is carelessness. If the stars only came out one night a year, I would imagine most of us would stay up all night watching the stars. The stars come out every night. Unless there's clouds, we're going to see stars every night. But we take it for granted, don't we? How many blessings do we take for granted? We're careless and it's a thief of our thanksgiving. Roland Allen 
preach a sermon. At the end of the sermon, after the service, a guest came up to him. He was a medical missionary. He had been a medical missionary in India. When he arrived in his area of India, he soon discovered that while people were born with healthy vision, that through the years, their eyesight began to deteriorate and they progressively became blind. During his tenure there, he developed a treatment to stop that progression. And he was able to use that treatment and save the eyesight or what was left for many of the Indians of that area. And an interesting thing, none of them ever came back to say thank you. And the reason was there was no word for thank you in their dialect. But what they did say was this, I will tell your name. So they went back across the countryside and they told everybody the name of the missionary and how he was used to save their eyesight. We're blessed. We have a word for thank you. But I think there's a lesson here. We need to tell the name of the Lord our God. So with with that in mind, listen to the psalm one more time. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. And his faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's go and tell his name. Would you bow with me? As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Can I, can I just kind of prime the pump, so to speak, and remind you of some things that you will want to be thankful for, not only this week, each day of your life. Thank God for your family. Your mom and dad, brothers and sisters, a wife, a husband, children, grandchildren. Be thankful for friends, true friends that stand by you, that love and support you. Be thankful for a country that we do have freedom to worship. Be thankful for our church. And the church family God has given to us. Be thankful for that maybe new job you got this year. Or the big promotion. Or the raise. Maybe it was the birth of a baby or the celebration of marriage. Would you thank him for your, your home? For the food that we take for granted even when the supply train is broken? We still have plenty that we can get for the clothes you wear, for the air that you breathe, for the color of the beautiful leaves as we see it in the transition to fall, for the beautiful music to our ears, most importantly, for Jesus, our Lord and Savior who has forgiven us. And tell the name of our God. 
who created us, and we belong to him, and he loves us. Father, help us understand that gratitude is the most healthiest attitude that we can have. Not only this Thanksgiving week, but yes, we want to be reminded, and we want to do that this week. But help us to be bearers of that attitude and growing in that attitude every day. We pray for those that we can influence as we tell them your name and why we are the way we are, why we act the way we do, why we feel the way we do, and how thankful we are. So use us, Father. As you open doors, may we walk through them. And Father, we pray for anyone here who needs to come to faith in Jesus, to make it public, or to inquire, someone to become a part of this wonderful family called Elkdale Baptist Church, that this would be that day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.